Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. So, welcome to On the Record. I'm Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. My guest this week is Sandra Espinay, Interior Designer. Um, HGTV personality. You have appeared on a number of shows there as well. Sandra, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, and thank you for having me on your show. Now, you have been very active for a number of years in the interior design community and doing all kinds of really, really beautiful work. But right before we went on air, you were talking about the unique things, the unique opportunity that has come to you as a result of the COVID-19 virus. So tell me what you are working on right now. Sure. Um, So Bill, yes, I studied interior design and I was a hospitality designer for years. And then about 18 years ago, I opened my design firm in Cabo, Mexico. And I was working back and forth internationally between Cabo and Los Angeles. I had office in both places. And I've been very active doing lots of big work and having a great time. And about two years ago, Coincidentally, right before all of the madness started, I got divorced and decided that I was moving back full-time to Los Angeles. So the process of moving back home took a while to close the office and do payouts for all of the employees for their benefits, etc. And once I moved back to L.A. this year, COVID hit. So I was not able to reopen another office in L.A., and I felt very lucky and very fortunate that I didn't have that overhead that now so many designers have, if you have a staff of 15 or 10 or however many people, that you've had to continue paying and trying to keep work going, even though the economy has slowed down. So what I did with that time, all of my free time, is I tried to revive one of my dreams, which is of having a fabric line. And in the past 18 years, busy with interior design. I haven't had a free moment to stop and draw. And now I've had five months all to myself to draw watercolor and explore my fabric line. And that's what I've been doing. I've created a 22 pattern, seven color fabric line in the past five months. Now, what is it about fabric that appeals to you? How is it that, I mean, obviously you have tremendous artistic talent and could express that in a number of different ways. Why fabric? Well, fabric is an integral part of interior design. It's the color, it's the texture, it's the pattern. We use it every single day. We we shop for patterns and texture, and we talk about that with clients. Um, But more than just that, for me, it's very personal because when I travel, and I've traveled to a lot of places, I'm an avid traveler, I started traveling very young with my family, and I've uh, visited many indigenous countries where textiles are handmade. I've seen them made, I've felt them, I've touched them, and I collect them. So I have antique textiles from Mexico, from Guatemala, from Bhutan, from India, you name it, antique dresses from China, from all of my travels all over, I collect antique textiles. So they're they're a source of inspiration for me, and I have drawers filled with them. 
And uh, so I think that, you know, it just translates from the collection and seeing Indigenous people making it, their colors, what they use, what's natural to every country, and then translating into modern interior design. And now trying to see how I can modernize that and use it in my textile. Hmm. Now, I'm curious. A lot of times when I ask creative people where they get their inspiration, they very often talk about the world around them, something that they've seen on a travel, something that uh, a building that they pass every day, things that are in the environment of the world around them. You are actually trying to create or are creating a fabric line at a time when the external stimuli are probably less than they normally would be. So what's your process? How are you finding inspiration? Where are you taking that from? Are you pulling out all of your antique tex- textiles or I mean, what's the process? You know, that's a really good question. And I'll tell you how I'm going to answer it. Um, I am uh, the spokesperson for Anderson Wood Flooring Asia. So until very recently, of course, I would go once or twice a year and I've been doing it for about 12 years and I do speeches all over China. And they give me a topic to speak about every um, before every speech. And inspiration is one of the ones that's the most popular. Where do you get inspiration from? Where does inspiration come from? And I know this very clearly because I am inspiration on demand. You know, every time you meet a client, people are asking, asking you questions. And you have to come up with inspiration and ideas continually. Um, so you train yourself inspiration on demand. And some people use travel. Some people use emotion, so you can be happy, and happiness will create an emotion. Um, you know, you can be sad. Artists like like musicians create love songs when they're sad and depressed. Um, writers create stories, novels based on you know different emotions. Uh, you can also just simply look at a magazine, and and something will stick out. Photography is a great source of inspiration. Some people find inspiration on nature when you walk on a beach. So it's a very personal thing, but you need to learn to hone in what works for you. And it works differently for everybody. I think actors pull out emotions also when they're acting. So for me, I think it's it's certain colors pop. And so it could be travel, it could be fashion, it can be photographer. But I, I, there's certain colors that just instantaneously do something to me that create a mood and a feel. And so that's what happened with my fabric line. I did pull out all of my antiques textiles and some of them popped out to me as interesting at the moment i might change my mind in in six months and find other things appealing but right now it's more of blues and teals and gray those are the colors that are inspiring me right now so i'm starting with color to answer your question why do you think those colors right now is it the the tranquil feel of them is there something of an emotional connection what is it about those colors and this time well, now we're getting into color theory. So color theory, what, what attracts you at certain times? Um, mm-hmm. I think because I've been stuck in L.A. for the past five months and it's been gloomy. I'm kind of longing for that beach feel again, which is um, in Cabo. I lived on the beach and every morning I could walk on the beach and the ocean was right there. So that's a very natural color palette that, that was in front of me for so long. And I'm kind of missing that with the gray L.A. sky. I love L.A. L.A. is a fabulous city. There's a lot of great things to it. Um, But, you know, we have June gloom and it's been a little, you know, grayish sky, not a lot of natural beauty. So maybe it's a longing for beauty right now, for natural beauty. Right. So tell me, as you as you create. Do you have a process? And when I say process, I know we talked a little about color and theory and inspiration, but I mean from a work process. I'm always curious, like I I have a lot of writer friends and they will devote 
a certain number of hours. You sit down and, you know, it's a discipline, right? I sit at the, the computer from this time to this time, or um, I start the day with exercise. What is your uh, process that you work through? How do you do this? For example, I'll, I'll share this with people who are listening. Right before we came on, we talked about this, and you said you are currently have all kinds of drawings surrounding you, right? All around you right at the moment. Yes. So I think my process is uh, I have a, yes, I'm an artist, but I also have a lot of left and right brain thinking. So I am a little bit more methodical than the actual artist painting in a studio who might start something and not finish it. I Once I start something, I'm very determined. So all of my drawings, I have this need to finish them, whether they're good or bad. I just simply have to get them out of my brain. I do it the same with my interior design. I might have three or four furniture plans per room. I just have to get them out of my brain and see them. And then I can instantly make a decision. Um, so I think just getting things out of your brain, you can imagine and go on fantasizing forever about the perfect room until you get it on paper and you measure it and you get the right pieces. You don't know. And it's the same with my fabric line. So what I've done is I have, I have many, many drawings and I took them all to um, a fabric a textile digitizer because before they can be made into real fabric, meaning getting it out of my head and printing actual fabric to make sure this is what I'm going to do. I worked with, with um, her name is Lisa Miller and she's a very famous textile designer to digitize everything. And she helped me delete. So deleting is as important as creating. We put them all on a wall. We deleted about 10 of them. Like this one is not part of that collection. This one doesn't fit in. And so her assistance was integral in me being able to end up with my 22 patterns that work together that create a collection and that makes sense. And um, I think it's the same with interior design. So as um, senior lead, lead designer, I would come up with floor plans and I would sit in meetings with my junior designers. What looks good to you? Why does this work? And we would delete. So before we go to a client, we've already deleted things that don't work. So that would be my process is it's, putting it all out and then deleting, taking things away. How interesting. That's not at all unlike the writing process, which is kind of getting it all on paper and then editing it down and culling out the things that don't work and smoothing over the rough edges. Very, very similar. So you write. Uh, that is what I have done for the last 30 years. Now, not fiction. I'm a, a trade journalist. Of course, but, for the magazine. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm, I thought maybe but, on the uh, side you were doing some writing too. <laughs> no, I have always been um, a nonfiction uh, kind of a person. Before I got into this, um, I actually studied history and I wrote uh, you know, historical papers. So nonfiction, um, being able to kind of tell a, uh, an, an objective or a straightforward kind of a story has always appealed to me, but the process is still very much the same. You start with a lot and winnow it down and um, probably not unlike whittling, right? You take a, a bare piece yeah. of wood and, and you take away what you don't need till hopefully what you get is something beautiful and shapely. Um, but writing is very difficult. Um, you know, I've, I've put out two books. My first book was The Well-Traveled the Home and then my mm -hmm. new book, um, Barefoot Luxury. And because I'm not a writer, that was probably the hardest part of getting those books out into the world because I, I did write with a ghost writer because obviously I'm not a writer, but the whole process of breaking it into chapters and what exactly are you telling the world? 
because I I think I'm a little bit introverted in the sense that I don't say everything and I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to talk about that. I'm not sure I want to put that into the world. So I was taking away too much from her. Oh, interesting. And you see, I have no ability to, to draw or create. So for me, that would be uh, even more intimidating, being able to try and take something and, and create a pattern or something uh, beautiful. Well, it's an insecurity that all artists and any type of art that you put out there, be it an, even an actor, what do you put out into the world? So I read, and I'm trying to remember where I read this, but it was really interesting. Let's say there are 100 artists of any sort. 90 of them will fail. And that's a high number. 90% of all artists fail, meaning they never get their work out of their head and into the world. Then you take that 10% that's left. And of that 10%, there's only probably 1% that is a Mozart or a Picasso or anybody of any relevance um, that matters in the world and that will be in a museum or that will get an Academy Award or that will be the you know next big writer. There are very few people who go on to that. So there's 9% of us, and I'm going to put myself in that category, that actually get their art out of their head, into the world. You're not changing the world, but you're producing. So that's a big number of failure in our in our industry and in all art. It's big failure. And it's fear, fear of putting out what's in your brain. Speaking of putting out what's in your brain, this is the fabric is not your first foray into that kind of design. You uh you have had Correct. A, a a rug collection with Agajan. Yes. Agajan, um, correct. And, and that so, was that was probably my first time that I drew and put things patterns out, and uh, I worked with uh, Agajan, and we made some carpets, and then from there I went on to Gildry, and Gildry went out of business shortly thereafter. Um, so it was really fun, and I learned a lot, but unfortunately they went out of business. How would you describe? I mean, it, it's right now your fabric collection is just on your drawings, and nobody can see. You can't draw a word picture, but I can. For example, go on your website and look at your Agajan rug collection of Tibetan-inspired rugs. It, would you describe that? Would you say that that is um, representative of the style that your fabric line will be too, or will we see th things that um, go in a different direction? How would you describe I your style? I think I've updated it. Meaning, I think now that I'm free and I have so much time, my drawings are free or two, so there's a lot more freeform feeling in it. I've looked back on my old drawings and I feel that they were, they looked more like interior designer drawings. So a little more perfect, a little more um, like tiles, you know, that there's a pattern to it that's easy to repeat. So I think my fabric line now is a little more freeform, kind of like my emotions are right now. Um, and the colors that I'm using right now are also more extensive. I do have a broader color palette. Because I'm willing to experiment, and I have the time to do it, where I didn't before. Do you think that's, uh, you, you mentioned that it's the time. How much of design is contextual, meaning influenced by the mood that you're in, the time of your life, the things that you're experiencing? If you were to look back, say, three or four years from now on what you're doing today, would you look and say, yes, I remember that time in my life. I was feeling this. I think all of it. So all I have to do is look on my two books, book one, book two, totally different mood, and you change. Everything in life changes. So, I mean, if you look at pictures of you when you were 15, pictures of you when you're 25, and pictures of 40, your hairstyle changes, your clothing changes. 
And it's the same with interior design. So as my mood changes, I'm sure I'm affecting my clients and I'm showing them in that direction. Um, so I'm going to say absolutely. Um, my, I, if, if I am still around designing fabrics in 15 years, they're going to be different without a doubt. I'd like to talk a little bit about interior design and how that business, you see it evolving um, as a result of the pandemic. Do you? I, I do see it evolving because I think all of a sudden now people are finding that the reality is your home is massively important. So we've gone through a phase where the average American has been shopping at inexpensive places. And I'm going to use maybe like a Wayfair or... Um, you know, inexpensive IKEA things. They get damaged quickly. They break down. They, they so I think people might um, be looking at a little bit more quality. So if you can buy something for hundred dollars, can you buy something for one fifty now? Just a little bit nicer. And on the luxury market, on my end, I think that's also going to be affecting because now people really want to maximize the use of their home and really are going to think about the spaces and what you do in them. Because if you have to do this again, stay home with your entire family and work from home, we need to use our home even better. And home offices, I think, are going to become very important. How do you think it changes psychologically or emotionally the way that people use spaces? And I think of some of the behaviors that have changed as a result of the pandemic. For example, um, people are cooking more at home. They're yeah. having game nights. Even if, if you're quarantined either with just your immediate family or with perhaps a slightly extended family who you know is following the same safety regimen that you are, right? So your, your whole circle seems to have contracted in a lot of cases. Um, but that, that sense of being together, of familial... Um, I don't want to say cooperation, it's not the right word, but, but coming together, that seems to have been very much a part of the pandemic. Do you think that that will carry over outside once we're through this? And will that affect the way that people will look at their homes and the way that interior designers will design those spaces? Yeah, you know, for a while, um, I'm going to say people were not using their dining rooms at all on kitchens also because, you know, you have a beautiful kitchen, but you use it minor because we would go out to dinner and go to restaurants every other night. And I don't, I think there's a lot of people who are becoming very germaphobic. And I do think that staying home is a thing that's going to remain and, and inviting closer friends and family over. So dining rooms and kitchens and outdoor dining, if weather permits, depending on where you live, are a true thing, I think, that are going to stay and that are going to be part of our living. Um, as, as I mentioned, you know, home offices, because now that you, you don't want to spend as much time in your office if you can, um, like you said, you are working remotely also, that's going to stay. I think that's going to be around. I find it a hard way to work, but I think some people, if they can, they, they will work from home. How does that change, do you think? Uh, and, and I almost feel like I'm asking you to, to kind of, dis, you know, be creative on demand. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, how do you think that that impacts the way people address those spaces? If they intend them to be more important, if they intend them to be used more frequently, how does that change the way that you as a designer would approach those spaces or the conversations that you might have with them? To figure well, out that's what going it to is. depend. You know, it's going to depend on the family. So, of course, it's going to depend if you have children, if you have grandchildren, how you're using your spaces. 
we typically have long, long conversations with our clients anyway, because when you're doing luxury, everything is custom. Everything is about how they live. It's not about buying furniture. Anybody can buy furniture. So it's about analyzing what's happening in those spaces and how the family is going to use it. And um, so I have always traveled to my clients' homes where their primary home is. And all of my clients have multiple homes. So to see how they live is extremely important so that, you know, we can have these conversations of what is needed. And and I don't think that's going to change. They're probably just going to be even more intense or they're going to know better now that they've had to stay home so much. They're going to know their house in and out and know exactly what they need, which is going to be helpful for me. I love it when a client knows what they want and knows what they need because it clarifies for me what not to do or what not to suggest. Um, so it's important to know know who you're designing for. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. Now, interestingly, I find another parallel here between your business and mine. My my job is very much about asking questions, right? I'm trying to get people to share information with me and um, to elicit an understanding of what it is that they're doing. What you just described to me sounds very similar in that you need to have an interview with someone. You need to be able to get them to open up to you, get them to share with you. Take me through a conversation, how you would have... A, with someone who understands what they want, but B, I would think it'd be even more challenging for somebody who does not understand what they want. What what might um, you do to get them to open up to you? Well, apart from going to their house, I I can see when I walk in, I can understand what's happening too. And, but asking questions, knowing where they work is very important. So for example, um, let's say I have a client and he's actively working CEO of a big company. His guests are equally as important. That means I can't just do a regular guest room. He's looking to impress and or show who he is, whether he realizes or not. Just like everything that you put on as a costume, even if you put on a white t-shirt and jeans, you're trying to say something to the world of who you are, what you are, how cool you are, how not cool. You are saying something. And interior design does the exact same thing when you're at this level and everything is custom and everything is unique and you know we have so much art. What does the art say? What does he want? his world to see so I'm so powerful I'm so great I'm so what is the teacher an actress might be trying to say how beautiful I am she wants everything pink there's so many variations to that question um so if the stage of your life might affect it too are you really young do you want a um, house that reflects your youth and your vibrance you're going to have parties do you need a catering kitchen some people have passed that stage and they now want a quieter place with maybe a detached guest house because their kids are older and need privacy. So all of those things come into play when you visit, you interview, you talk, you go to dinner. Let's spend one or two days with a client. I, I walk away pretty much with all the information that I need. And that's that's the beginning and the most important part of, of a, re, a relationship for design. Do you find that people have a clear understanding of who they are? Or is that something that you have to figure out as you go through the process? I find that one partner, because most people are married, um, most of my clients are married, I find that one partner is usually stronger opinionated than the other. And most of the time, it is the women. 
But I've had three huge projects where the males, all three of them had the same characteristics, CEOs of very big companies, but they were still in control of their home, meaning they they made all decisions, not just financial, but wanted to see the art, wanted to be involved in the shopping, wanted to review the drawings and you know, make sure that everything we were doing worked with the contractor and the architect, and they were equally involved with the contractor and the architect. So I, I men sometimes like that. Sometimes men like to be involved and know what they want. Interesting. Is it easier when only one person is involved, or is it easier when you do have both people who have? Uh, I've never really opinions? had both people because it seems like uh, most married uh, people. They might start out one or two talks, and then one of them takes the lead. It just always seems that one of them is going to take the lead. Um, and, and I've only had one client ever that the two of them were kind of always at the meetings, and they would fight over everything in front of my team. And they were just, they just, you know, they fought with each other. Most people do that at home and come back with a strong opinion, and they know how to, you know, manage you know, professional teams. So, so it was, it was unusual for us, but it happened, you know, I mean, I've talked to other designer friends and everybody's had that one client that doesn't know how to control themselves. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that you, there were two projects that you were working on, but the challenge right now, and I think the challenge is not unique. It's something that the industry is, is all wrestling with now, which is availability of product. What Correct. are we finding in terms of uh, the challenge of getting product today? Well, I, um, I've been to the design center here in Los Angeles, the Pacific Design Center, and making up numbers, but roundabout of the 100 showrooms, maybe 12 of them are open. Of those 12, about half of them, you cannot go into the showroom. You have to just talk through the door, tell them what you want. I need a tear sheet. I need a sample. They'll bring it out to you, and that's that. So my hat's off to the six that are open and that let us in. We have to make appointments, but we can still shop at them. Um, you know, the Needless Boucher and Thomas Lavin showrooms, amazing that they're trying um, and that they are, you know, trying to keep the ball rolling. They can give us pricing. They can give us samples if they have it. They're mailing things if they don't have it. But then you get into the ordering. So great. I go in, see a fabulous chandelier. I want it. I can get a quote and I can write a purchase order and give them a check. They can't give me a date and they don't know when things are going to ship because on the back end of this, we have manufacturing. And manufacturing in, let's pick a place, it could be North Carolina, it could be New Jersey, it could be Texas. They are either closed or working, you know, with less people in these factories or these locations, and they can't produce at the rate they were before. Um, fabric, a European fabrics are not being shipped right now. Uh, there are several major, major companies going out of business right now. I mean, Donkey of Furniture, giant in the industry, closed. Um, Robert Allen and Jerry of course, are restructuring, and I'm hoping they can reopen. Uh, but there's just so many fabrics. And Hinson, you know, is another fabric line that we've all loved. I think it was just bought up by, you probably know better, but, uh, you know, these, these giants are, are falling off of our map. So we are having problems ordering. That is the problem. It's not getting work or do you know meeting with clients. That's the easy part right now. Everybody wants to get their home done. It's mm -hmm. being able to produce. And and that is a story that we hear again and again at all levels, from high end interior design right down to the local mom and pop retail store. 
the challenge appears to be nobody has product or nobody has as much as they need. I guess that's the flip side of consumers wanting to redo their homes is they have created this sudden, very unexpected spike in demand. Well, you know very well, you know, furniture markets are a big part of our industry. We go to furniture markets to see what's new, to experience new products, to see what we could potentially order in the future. So I just did a podcast a live um, for the Las Vegas furniture market last week because there's no attendance pretty much. It's all virtual. This year is going to be kind of a wash because it's not the same as being there in person. And I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm assuming the October high point market is not going to happen either. And these are important markets for us designers. Well, actually, um, high point is still on at the, you at the moment. Still gonna, do, do you think well, people as, will I go? Mean, um, well, here's the thing. Um, yes, I do. And I mean, people did go to Atlanta last week. Um, there are people who will, who will be open in Las Vegas next week. So there will be showrooms open. Um, the operators of the event, they've already acknowledged, they know that the attendance won't be what it normally is. Um, but there are people who absolutely want to go in person and see product. And at this time, not only is the high point market in October still scheduled, but, um, have you ever heard of high point pre-market? Yes. Okay. Um, right last year, there were 93 companies that opened their showroom for High Point pre-market. As of today, we keep a, a running list. Anybody who tells us they're open for pre-market, we keep a running list on our website. And right as of today, that list is 225 companies have told us that they intend to be open for pre-market. Wow. Um, I'm loving that. That's amazing. Well, here's, here's what we see happening is that... Um, People are not necessarily comfortable coming during what they anticipate to be a crowded time frame. So while they may not want to come on the particular dates, if they feel like there will be a lot of other people there, they do very much seem like you. They want to go in person. They want to see the product. This is very much a, a touch and feel business, right? You can't get the same sense of a fabric if you don't touch it. You can't get, get a feel for the hand of, of a leather piece if you can't touch it. Um, and so people do want to go see product in person, but they want to do it in a time frame that makes them feel a little safer and that it might be a little less crowded. So what we're starting to see is that those market windows might be opening up a little. People may be open. I will not be surprised if there are people who open their showroom um, in mid-September for pre-market and never close it right through market in the end of October so that they will on an appointment basis allow people to come in in ones and twos so that they can maintain some level of sanitization in the showroom so that they can make sure that people have plenty of space as they walk the showroom. And so, you know, that's the, the feedback that we're getting from retailers is there, there are still people who want to see product. They simply want to do it in a way that is more socially distanced, where they feel more comfortable that they're not going to be in, in a crowded elevator or in a crowded showroom. Um, so at the moment, I have every expectation that High Point Market will take place. And as I said, High Point Pre-Market, more than twice the number of companies. Um, I love that hearing that. Open. I love hearing that because, you know, I feel that I've spoken to, I try to keep in touch with a lot of my designer friends and there are a lot, there's a lot of negativity and people who are, you know, really sad or depressed about their situation. And, and I think we need a little hope and of course we need to be safe. And, you know, of course there are certain people who have no business leaving 
to travel at, at all if you have any, of course, pre-existing conditions of any kind. Um, but there's so many people who are healthy and who, if they take precautions, should or could and probably financially and emotionally need to be out and about. So I don't know if my opinion is right, but I, I, I would like to see a little bit more action and more people out. Well, I, I think what, what we're seeing is that there's a little bit more localization. So what the, um, the people at Las Vegas market have told us is that they expect the, those who attend Las Vegas will come from within a, a five to six hour driving radius. They found they've done extensive research and they say that people seem to be comfortable driving up to five or six hours to go to a market. It's the piece that that makes people nervous is getting on planes. I think with High Point, you may see the same thing. High Point is within driving distance of a good portion of um, of the population centers of the U.S. So you may see yeah. people, people do that. Um, so, you know, people are adjusting, but... Um, there's a strong desire to to meet. I think at the, at heart, human beings are social animals, and yeah. we like to be around other people. And furniture is a fashion business, and people like to look in person. They want to see the color up close and personal. They want to feel it up close and personal. So I think we're going to adapt, but I I don't expect that that in person interaction and in person looking at product is going to go away anytime soon. I I totally agree with you. I mean, because there's such a there is there's such an immediate reaction when you sit on a chair, when you sit on a sofa, and you know that it is comfortable, versus just looking at something that you might think is pretty, and um, and so many things don't photograph identical or photograph better. Kind of like people, you know, some things are more photogenic than others, and then you see the photo and you're like, ah, but you see it in person, you're like, must have. So I think I think you're right. I think when this is all over, or as we move forward. Getting getting back to our shows and being able to travel to see things is going to be coming back. I sure hope it does because I love going to shows. The interaction there's there's no substitute. You just don't get the inspiration anywhere else. If you go to a, a high point market or Las Vegas or Dallas or Atlanta, you see so much so quickly. And I will usually myself. I try to take a day um, or at least a, a couple of hours and turn my brain off and just kind of absorb colors and styles and flow and to just kind of organically get a feel for what's going on. And you can't get that um, in a virtual showroom or a virtual tour of one person's showroom or one person's line. There's, there's nothing like immersing yourself in, in and that field. One of my favorite shows, and I don't go every year, I'm going to say I go every other year, is uh, Maison in Paris, Maison of Jay. Mm-hmm. And what I love about going to that particular show is you're going to uh, international. It's much more international. You're going to international showrooms and you can clearly see a trend and you're like, okay, why is this company in Italy and this company in France and this company in the U S they're all in the same color, you know, what's going on. So you can, you can really see world patterns of what's happening or what trends of what's important. Um, and, and I really enjoy seeing that in person. I think if you see it online, you would miss a lot of, you know, the, 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 the little things that tie us all together as humans that we're all interested in. Well, I, I'm guessing that that was, and, and I'd love to talk about your book, The Well-Traveled Home. That, that seems to be the exact inspiration, right? That kind of global influence. Yes. Um, and so when I did The Well-Traveled Home, I think that was about 10 years ago, um, I think the trend back then was 
um, man-made, one-of-a-kind pieces that artisans make all over the world that find find um, themselves being used in residential design. So it was things like maybe a door from Bali would be converted into a coffee table or a fireplace screen from India. Um, we could take it and upholster the back of it and create it into a headboard. And the, the whole world is just, we're all together and we were all talking about, you know, the global village. Um, so what is COVID going to do to us? Is, is that going to go away? Are we going to come up with something new? I mean, I feel like we're in a, in a huge change and it's an exciting time to be um, around. I'm curious to see what's going to come next. Well, I'm very curious to the sequel of your sequel, right? Your next book is <laughs> Barefoot Luxury, um, which was much more focused on you know Mexican resort living. Um, Correct. So where do we go from here? If you were going to start thinking about that a third book, what do you think the, the Well, there will is? be a third book. I just uh, have a couple ideas thrown around, but uh, nothing's concrete. So I'm not sure I really have an answer yet. Um, but something has, I feel like something's stirring. So I've looked back on design history, world history, humanities. I've been thinking a lot about that. And if you look at history, every hundred years, we have a giant change, giant change. So uh, let's say a hundred years ago, you know, we were just coming into what we consider, um, you know, the modern world. So the, let's say the thirties, forties and fifties, the idea of computers and look at where we are today. Um, and then take a hundred years before that, we were just getting into industrial revolution, you know, where the things were being mass produced. And a hundred years before that, we were getting into um, the French Revolution, where liberty was, you know. So if you look back, every hundred years or so, our entire planet goes through this big social change. And I think we're in the midst of it right now. And will that affect design and color and clothing trends and art trends? Absolutely. Oh, I'm just fascinated. I can't wait to see where, how you interpret this and, and what that looks like. Well, I, I should hang go. up right now so you can get started. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate anytime, it. Anytime, Bill. Anytime. And, and by the way, my only regret that I'm not going to be at either Vegas or High Point Market this year is that I won't get to meet you because normally I'd be able to find you and come up and say hello and give you a big hug. So virtual hug and hope we get to meet in person soon. We absolutely will. And I cannot wait to see when your fabric line is ready. Please share Thank that you. with us. I will. I will. Have a great day. Thank you. You too now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Bill McLaughlin with On the Record. Thank you for joining us. My guest today was Sandra Espinay.